0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Blue Collar Angst Podcast, where we dive deep into the realm of any and really everything blue collar. We're gonna take a look at a wide range of trades and careers that range from welders and electricians to police officers and everything in between. The guests we bring on the show, the listeners, really essentially you, are the fuel to keep this whole thing going. With that being said, please enjoy, and as always, like, subscribe, follow, Do whatever it is that you do to stay up to date so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Blue Collar Angst. We're really excited for this one. I'm here with Connor and Nelson. Nelson is a Senior District Fleet Manager for Waste Management. He's out on the East Coast. He's in Georgia. So he's, uh, about to enjoy the long, hot summer, but how are you guys doing?
1: I'm doing good, David. Thanks for having us. We're, we're stoked to be here. Another episode. What is this? Number 10? Episode 10. Number 10, man. We're, uh, we're getting them out. That's been exciting. How are you, Nelson?
2: I'm doing great. Doing just great.
0: So let's kind of start it off. I guess I'll, I'll introduce Nelson a little bit. Um, I know Nelson. He's a close family friend. I played football with his oldest son, and uh, I think you actually coached me in football when I was like a eight-year-old or nine-year-old or something for City League. Were you a coach in football, or am I just smoking something?
2: Um, I don't think when I started coaching football, that's when they had divided the uh, the league up by grade and not by weight. Mm. Uh, I was there with you on uh, the football team, but I did coach y'all doing baseball. Baseball. I done, like, two seasons with you and uh, Junior on baseball.
0: You're like, I didn't coach the chubby kids in football. Sorry. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> just... yeah. You coach you the the high, the very top
1: district of size. Yeah. He's like, I only coach the normal size kids. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, I didn't
0: coach ogres. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> uh, you, you and junior was uh, special kids. Y'all was. Uh... Y'all came in at a weight, and y'all had to play in a a league uh, way above y'all age. I know uh, junior first year, he got to play. He had to play with eighth graders, and he was only in the third grade because of his size and weight. Yeah, That following year after the baseball season, that's when uh, you came onto the team. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we got our asses kicked when we were little. I remember that, getting hit by older kids, it seemed like, but. At least it made Nelson it made Nelson good at football junior. So but man, us yeah, he got pretty good at it. Yeah. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, man? Uh maybe I know you're in Georgia right now. Are you aren't you from Georgia?
2: Yeah, I was born and raised right here in Georgia. Um I'm actually about living right now in this moment, about ten minutes from my hometown where I was born and raised. Um Little town that I'm from, the locals we call it Snore Georgia, but as you look at the spelling of it, it is uh, pronounced Snoria Georgia. Snoria, yeah, um, I'm pretty sure a lot of you have heard of the town. Once I start speaking a little bit about it, it became famous uh, throughout the movies industry. The first movie was shot there was a Pet Cemetery with uh, Stephen King was shot is- right oh, there in my own town. Um, but here lately, one of the biggest, uh, TV shows to come through that town and, uh, really put it on the map was the walking dead. That is, uh, actually shot right in my hometown, The main shooting lot, uh, where they do most of the filming was actually sitting on the plot of land. That was my grandmother's house. Really, I love that show too. (laughs) Yes. It, uh, You can go to that that exact spot. The house isn't there anymore. I don't know what they did with the house. But uh, every time I drive by the little studio, they got set up there. That's all I see is what my grandmother's house was. And I spent plenty of days over there with my grandmother at that uh, plot of land.
0: Dude, that's uh, that's cool, man. How random, huh?
2: Yeah, I mean... um, uh, The 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 show was filmed and everything right there in my hometown, and I had yet to see an episode. Oh, (laughs) 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 man, that's a crime! I guess so, you know. But uh, a lot of other things that came through there. Uh, A good percentage of Tyler Perry movies uh, shot right there in my hometown, also.
0: Now I want to watch. I've never watched The Walking Dead, but now I want to watch it. You guys are
2: both
1: heathens!
0: Wow. (laughs) I took, so I I call him Mr. Nelson because, so his son is Nelson. That was my friend that I played football with. So everybody calls his son Junior, and I always called him Nelson. So his dad, his name Nelson too, I always said Mr. Nelson. So if you hear me call him Mr. Nelson, you're probably used to it, huh, Nelson, by now.
2: Oh, yeah. It, it's, it is, I'll tell you, it's a little strange just to hear you say, Nelson, without the Mr. in front of him when you're speaking to him, so. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> you, like, put some respect on it, add the Mr. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, uh, well,
2: you, you're just as a grown man as I am right now. You got your own family going, so mm-hmm. it's just that, uh, watching you've been growing up and behind it, my whole, basically your whole life is Mr. Nelson between you and Laura and Krista. Yeah. Um. It is to see you all growing up, man. I'll be seeing Krista uh, on uh, Facebook with her, her family coming along. And I'm just, it's amazes me that uh, how much y'all grew up and uh, became such great young people.
0: Yeah, I'll have to write that one down that I'm a great young person because uh, <laughs> kind of a piece of shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. I, uh, I'm excited to have you on here. I, I know a little bit. I, I remember so vaguely some of the stories, you know, it's kind of cool. I remember going to football games with you and, you know, I'd get to hang out and, you know, stay the night over at your guys' house and stuff. And I was always so embarrassed to, you know, we'd go out and get food and I would order the exact thing that, that Nelson got. So I didn't want to <laughs> order something. I would just say, you'd be like, what do you want? And it was like, I was your second kid. And I'd say, I'll just have what he's having. So you guys got good at ordering Wendy's and different stuff like that. But, um, Tell us a little bit, man, about, I guess, your upbringing. You spent a lot of time at your grandma's house. What kind of got you wanting to work with your hands and, you know, becoming a, a district fleet manager, senior fleet manager? You've been at waste management for a long time. Kind of just walk us through, um, I guess, your childhood into, like, young adulthood.
2: You know, um, childhood, uh, a lot of people when I explain to them, and I can take them back to my um Hometown in the area where I grew up down to the land in the house where I grew up at By uh, even my wife, uh, you know, miss Pam She didn't believe me when I was telling her that, you know, we wasn't that uh, We grew up Extremely poor I mean everything that we ate and had we grew and made and that was uh, uh you know from beef to pork to chicken the veggies, we had a garden that we took care of the whole summer long, uh, raising the chickens. So we had a chicken, had pigs and cows and so forth and so forth. And the growth from that little town to where we was at to where I am. And that's part of why I became working with my hands. because That's all I've done, done my whole entire life ever since I can remember my dad, brothers and sisters, mom, you know, we was all hands on type of people. And um, I always had a fascination with the big trucks, the 18 wheelers, the big diesel trucks. And um, that's what got me going, going in that direction. That was the path that I chose when I went into the Army to help me advance more into my career as a diesel mechanic. It's one of the reasons why I went into the military to get that opportunity, not just to advance in my career, but also... Being from the small town of Snow, Georgia, uh, you don't get to travel as much as uh, anyone else would do. So I actually got to travel a lot. So that got me into uh, why I wanted to do the, a lot of the being a being the service. But uh, I can remember growing up uh, helping dad with the, the cars and fixing the lawnmowers and keeping them running year over year. And it was just a great passion of mine to be able to. Tear it down, put it back together, and it actually runs. Once I got done, it was a great satisfaction. As you mentioned, I have been with Waste a long time. Is at the end of this year to be uh 28 years with waste management. I started with waste management there in Colorado Springs at the bottom of the totem pole, greasing trucks, doing whatever job that they had to give me. As I continued to grow in with the mine profession. And when I started with waste management, it was at the beginning of my, right at the beginning of my career. I had just got out of service, uh, worked with uh, a couple of trucking companies here and there. And um, finally got that opportunity and uh, waste management hired me on. It wasn't the greatest uh, job to ever want to deal with, being that um, it's a garbage truck. (laughs) I mean, that's a nasty, grossome. Nasty shit all the way somewhere around the damn garbage truck. And right. I tell a lot of the young guys now that first five or six years, maybe the first 10 years waste working for waste management was all an accident <laughs> to uh, look at other venues and getting out of the trash service because I got tired of dealing with nasty, gross shit. <laughs> but uh, as time went on now, uh, the I learned more and more. And um, uh, got to the point where I actually started enjoying my job and uh got my first promotion through waste management to become the third shift supervisor and from that point the gave me an indication that hey, I can grow and uh become more in this company, and that was my pursuit to become the fleet manager senior district fleet manager that I am the Keep moving along. I mean, I look at uh, waste management now and um, still enjoy fixing trucks and getting dirty, although my title don't uh, require me to do that much. so But uh, molding the young guys as they come through, it's a great feeling right now. I mean, you can take a young guy that that was in the same boat that I was when I started waste management, not much experience, but want to get his feet wet and get out there and uh, actually start doing some good with his hands and working with the company. So I'm being able to mentor and mold those guys into great technicians and mechanics as myself. And it's a great feeling, you know, um right now I can say the only drawback that I have is get a whole lot of screen time right now that's sitting behind the computer just uh It ain't the same satisfaction as turning a wrench and getting nasty and greasy. I don't mind anymore. She don't mind that the clothes are less dirty. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, that's one of the things I love about the trades, though, is
1: it seems like if you have a willingness to learn and to to grow, almost anywhere will give you a chance, you know, and it sounds kind of like the same thing. It's like if you come to you and they're like, hey, I want to just learn. Like, I'm open to learn. I'm willing to work hard. Waste management is going to give you a shot. And that seems like it's like that in a lot of trades. You know, if you're willing to come in and do the hard stuff at first, you can go pretty far in the company and you can be a pretty successful person.
2: You know, that, that's true. With waste management, that is one of the few companies that is uh, that is out there that um, you can go very deeply and far into the company. And, you know, um, we was on a uh, call today. with uh, We sent our new techs out to the training center down in Arizona. And we have, they have a little graduation ceremony every time a new class comes through. And I'm listening to all these uh, area fleet directors. These are guys that, like uh, Rich Brown, which is my area fleet director, he covers everything in the state of Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. So I believe he got like 28 sites that he governs over to make sure maintenance is doing exactly what they got to do. He also started at the bottom of waste management, just as I did, uh, in the grease pit, changing oil, greasing the trucks, inspection, repairs. And um, he got a few less years than me. I think he's sitting in like 23, 24 years. But, yeah, he was able to advance through the same company and the same networking that uh, I did. I'm um, pretty sure that his networking was a lot more intense than I was. Uh, I did not pursue it as hard and um effective as a lot of guys to have moved up in the company but everybody that uh that was on that call today it was all ex-technicians that came in looking for the knowledge and looking for the experience and um waste management does that a lot they uh give everybody that same opportunity to become higher in the company
0: dude it's it's so cool to hear you talk about i think that's one thing that Not every company has, you know, managers that really do care. It seems like you really care about, you know, you mentioned molding, you know, the next generation, these young guys that come in. That's something that's pretty special. um, And as a manager that you get to do, I guess, what's some of the changes you've seen? If you could just go the last 10 years in the workforce, have you guys had a struggle trying to get new people? I know we've talked with like our our state trooper in Arizona. Um, They've struggled to find people. And have you guys struggled with that too?
2: You know, that is uh that's not just with uh waste management. That is uh the industry alone itself in the mechanical field. Uh anything with the blue collar right now, everybody is struggling trying to bring in decent uh, personnel and in some cases personnel period. Um, just a couple of three years ago, there was a point in time that the shop that I was at in um what we call Atlanta South there was only three or four of us in the whole entire shop to take care of close to a hundred trucks. So, um, yeah, we, we haven't, um, uh, right now it's starting to ease up a little bit, but the changes that I've seen in the last, uh, five, 10 years or so. And that's something that, um, with waste management in the garbage industry period, no matter where you are a waste management, Republic or whoever the company you are with, it changes year over year. I mean, the stuff that you was doing last year is almost obsolete this year. Um, a garbage truck isn't just a garbage truck anymore. It's right now it's a roller computer. Yeah, and if you don't have the, uh, the 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 technology or the the mindset to grow with the the industry, you you fall way behind. I mean, and that's a struggle. Um, bringing in these young cats these days and um our biggest struggle is the the will to want is um i guess you could say it that way they want to come to work they want to do something but they don't have the will to take it on turnover is really ugly and i don't know if it's the mindset of the young kids today um <laughs> let, me, let me say uh you're staring you know, at
0: uh, you're staring at two young guys that's why you laugh you're probably like, <laughs> you...
2: <laughs> you're like that's, that's why i laugh y'all that that, that trophy generation
0: <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah that's that right
2: generation now y'all, y'all uh all y'all had to do was show up and you got rewarded regardless of how well you perform yeah that 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 is the same mentality that we are we are fighting daily Keeping guys at work, uh, bringing guys in is, I mean, like I say, waste management is the only one suffering at that. You know, I had a young cat a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, interviewed him. I thought it was a really good guy. Give him a shot. Made the offer, and he said it wasn't enough for him. You know, you got no experience on the garbage truck, and you want to gain experience. Not only does working on the garbage trucks will we, um, we'll advance you in any field, Outside of waste management, because everything that you have to learn and do to keep a garbage truck on the road every day, you would figure any offer that would pay your bills would be significant enough. But you no, know, this this fella wanted that X amount of dollars before he could come to work, and that's why I look back and even with the guys that I'm working with now, great guys, but I see that that trophy generation now, uh, what they call them. Generation X. Millennials,
0: yeah. Generation X. Yeah.
2: Yeah, millennial. And um, me growing, coming through the, the, the ranks as a uh, grease monkey and supervising mechanic and all that good stuff. I strive for the work. I, I wanted it. I wanted that, that, that education. I wanted that knowledge. I wanted to get better for myself, for the company. Just don't see that these days. You, you see that eight hours and bounce, maybe give you nine. It was no thing from when I was coming through uh, 12, 14-hour days. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you push a guy past nine, and uh, you might you, you, you might have to take a day off. Yep. Yeah. He's calling in tomorrow because you, you overworked him. <laughs> yeah, you, you put it on him. But uh, Yeah. Every once in a while, you run up on that diamond in the rough that still got that old-school mentality that he got to go to work and he got to earn and learn. So uh, every once in a while.
1: You know, it's funny um, that you were talking about this. I don't know if you listened to our last week's episode, but we we literally, the whole hour episode, we talk about this topic of, of why there's such a shortage in the mentality of the generations today that they're not willing to put the work in. And just different you know, facts, but also opinions of why we think that's going on. So it's just, it's funny that we're having this conversation because we literally talked about that last week for, you know, an hour or so about, about this exact same thing, which is kind of funny.
0: Yeah. I think it's crazy too. You know, you mentioned hours, you know, my work was pretty slow for the last six months and, you know, hours kind of got cut. I was used to working tens. We were working six days a week, you know, and, uh, money was good. And then it kind of got a little bit slower, you know, working eights and having some down days and, you know, getting back to 10 hour shifts. makes me grateful. So it's it's just funny. I, I don't know why there's that disconnect by some you call them diamond and rough. I think a lot of it's upbringing. I think people's upbringing kind of shapes them. You know, I'm sure your kids are the same way they look at you and the example that you set for them. I do that with my parents. And I'm, I know Connor does that with his, too, where it's just not an option to not, you know, you got to stay late, you got to stay late. But yeah, it's it's interesting, man. It's interesting that that's such a big big thing right now for everybody, every industry.
1: You know, it's uh it makes a great opportunity though for for those kids that are that diamond in the rough, right? If there's there's only if there's 10 kids in a room and only one guy's willing to put the work in, hey man, that's the one guy that's going to get that job and that's the one guy that's going to get the promotion or whatever. So, I mean, if you're one of those people, it, cr- it creates a great opportunity because there's less competition because there's so many weenies out there these days.
2: You know, that, that's true. And um, that, that one – that dominant that in the rough every once in a while, like you said, there's 10 guys in the room and one of them is willing to put the work in and uh, work hard at it, want to, to advance itself and grow. You, you got to take advantage of that and you you really got to put effort towards that kid. And like like uh, David was saying, it is upbringing, you know. Um, like you say, uh, I know Miss Danielle, he, she didn't have lazy kids in her house. You so all had to clean up behind yourself and do chores around the house. And same with Junior and my, my kids. You know, playtime was after you got the work done, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And, and a lot of these kids today, all day is playtime. You know, I, I look back and I talk to some of these uh, soldiers that are getting out the service now and uh, the things they say they was able to do and, and the luxury they get today to, compared to when I was in. And I shake my head. Uh, did I mess up and go in too early or did the world <laughs> change just that much? <laughs> so, I mean, it was it was uh, it was roughing it pretty much my whole time I was in the service.
1: I actually, uh, I kind of wanted to roll back a little bit and talk about that if we can. So, what, 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 uh, what branch of the military did you go go into? I was in the army. The army. So, how did that that come about? You getting into auto mechanics, right? Or like, how did you end up there? I guess can you talk us through how you ended up there and how it was cutting your teeth and in that that portion
2: of it? Well, you, you know. Um... Joining the military was was an option, you know, uh, to me, it was my best option. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot going on in my, my hometown. You had to travel the minimum 30 minutes to find a real decent job. And the military offered something that uh, no other job was going to offer me. And that was the experience with pay, with travel. Uh, going into boot camp, never dealt with uh, military before in my life, other than watching movies, you know um i had no clue what i was stepping into what i was going to do and that that is something that um i got to say was a big part also who i am today was my boot camp schooling and ev- and everything that i had to do in the military it it was it wasn't as pleasant as these guys are today you know, you're running PT and you're doing your dang um PT test, Running, got to run a two-mile on the 15 minutes in boots and not tennis shoes. It, 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 it makes a man out of you. It ain't one of those, um, you know, right there towards the end of my boot camp, uh, we was able to wear shorts and uh, jogging pants and sweatshirts and stuff as we done PT. And no more boots and uh, BDU. That was beginning of the change. But it was still a, a great ordeal. It wasn't as, uh, I guess I could say, it wasn't greatest as, as uh, sissified as it is now.
0: I think now, don't they have like a, I don't know if it's called like a safe space, but you can literally have a timeout if you're getting yelled
2: at, right? In the Army. Yeah, that, 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 that is one of the things that shocked me the most is you can have that what they call the stress card. So anytime that you wasn't feeling it, uh, you just didn't have a mindset to go through with your training that day. You did get the day off. They couldn't yell at you. You know, the drill sergeant, from what I understand, can no longer yell and scream at you in the interrogatory deals, you know, screaming at you and calling your names, anything that you felt that would hurt your feelings. Uh, from what I understand, drill sergeant can't do that anymore. You know, my drill sergeant kick, threatened to kick me all the way back to Georgia one time. Yeah, I'm using, <laughs> I'm not going to say the exact words, but it was a little rough. But <laughs> nowadays, those guys don't have to do that, you know. I'm just going off of hearsay from what I've heard from guys that got out and uh, stories they told me. Hold on. Uh, hold on now, Dave. That, that is your buddy right there. What's up, man? How you doing?
0: Good. You're going to be a cop, huh? Yes, sir. Dude, that's crazy. That's cool. Appreciate you. Yeah? Yeah. It's crazy work. It's a lot of studying. Yeah? Yeah. You, you had to, trim, you doing? Had to uh-huh. trim your beard up. Trimmed huh? your beard. You trimmed your facial no. hair. It's, like, it's kind of like the military anyway. It's like paramilitary, so they make you go baby face until you're done with the academy and whatever your policy says at your agency then that's what what you can do with your beard dude i'm excited i'm excited to see you graduate you're in the the academy
1: right now junior right this is junior yeah
0: yeah um, yeah i am in the academy right now i am entering next monday will be week 10 and then just two more weeks after that so like three four more tests and then i'll be certified in the state of georgia as a police officer Let's
1: go, man. Good
0: for you. Dude, you're like, you're all professional right now. Holy crap.
2: That's (laughs) That's cool, man. That's a big change from the way y'all grew up, huh? Oh, yeah. I remember y'all eating up all my groceries in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Hey,
0: (laughs) Junior, since you're here, dude, do you remember when we were watching Halloween and your dad, we're walking, walking one of your buddies home and your dad dressed up like Michael Myers in the blue blue suit, Mike Myers mask. And he freaking scared the shit out of me. And I I think I ran faster than you that one day.
2: Yeah, for <laughs> once, yeah. For <laughs> once. <laughs> oh, hey, bro. It's good to see you. Nice to see you, too. He was about to walk in, so I figured I'd throw him on there real quick. No, that's cool, man. It's cool. Oh, it's
1: good, man. Been We'll have to get him on. After he goes through the academy and gets into the, the field a little bit, we can talk to him about it. That'd be fun.
2: Okay. I uh, haven't reached out to you. Y'all can reach out to him when uh he get out the academy. Yeah, tell him about September. I'll be probably out of FTO. He said about September he should be uh ready. Nice. Oh
0: professional. Holy crap, that's weird. That's
2: cool to see. You no, know, that that's uh, uh one one of the big old uh uh, joys of being a dad is when you see your son do something great like that and come out and be a man that you wanted him to be the whole time he was growing up. So, with him becoming a cop and chasing his dream, um, very proud of him. Very proud of him. I bet.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And the, and the academy's no freaking joke either. They make you study. I remember. So my we had my brother on not too long ago. And he's a he's an officer. He's been an officer for a while, but I remember when he went through the academy, man, he was studying his butt off and training his butt off. And it's not easy. It's, it's work.
2: It is work. And um I I I was telling my wife, Miss Pam, he'd have studied more in these last eight, ten weeks that he'd been in the academy than he'd have studied his whole 15 years of school. <laughs> Seriously. <Yeah. laughs> Dude. I never seen him crack a book as hard as he does now. He went on off to college and, and had the other people working f- doing his work for him. But <laughs> in the academy, he is actually putting in the work. He's doing everything. He's studying. He's cracking his book open and working hard at it. And that, yeah, that's and, uh, but, uh, I joke with him all the time that you know I wish you had to study this hard when you was in school. You probably become a lawyer. <laughs> <It's Shoot>. just,
0: <laughs> he
2: looks like, like a doctor
1: it's like blue mountain state he's got a a nerd that does all of his homework for him so he can just like dick around and mess around <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> dude that's cool though i look at that you know we talked about it earlier like the upbringing and things like that you're talking about the army and the stress cards you know i know i know people that have gotten out of the army in the last little bit you know last five years and you know they still have that that mentality, and I think it really does boil down to upbringing. But I guess to kind of circle back to to your army days, you know, getting more to, towards the technical side of stuff. Did you spend all your time in the states learning? Did were you just a diesel mechanic, or or is that what what was your trade like in the army?
2: Oh, that was my trade in home. I was a diesel mechanic. I was a heavy wheel mechanic in the service. Um, no, I did not spend all my time here in the States. I spent my last 18, 20 months in the States at Fort Carson. Um, I spent two and a half years, almost three years, in Europe, over there in Germany. I spent seven months uh, doing, the, um, I know you guys uh, read about it or heard about it, but I was right smack dab in the middle of the Desert Storm War. Over in Saudi Arabia, I spent uh, uh, a good bit of time—about uh, six, seven months—over there doing that. And um, I worked on a little bit of everything when I was in the service. You know, I worked on M1 tanks, Bradley tanks, uh, Humvees, uh, five-ton uh, trucks, uh, hemet trucks. Um, nine sixteens is what they was the the tractor trailers in the military. They was uh we called it the nine sixteens. They were just basically uh a tractor trailer. Uh, the HETS was was uh, just a big old tractor trailer, huge. Um, I done uh, recovery missions, and um, when I was in uh the army, that's when they teach you how to uh basically be a repo man using a tow truck, being able to get uh, tanks and trucks stuck out of the mud and uh, accidents and uh, that nature. So I I was always on, um, I was in the military over in Germany. I was on a five-ton record as um, been on the recovery missions. And when I got to Fort Carson, I was on the the Hemet record. Uh, The whole time that I was in uh, Saudi Arabia during the war, I was on what they called a 88 tank that is uh that's a recovery tank it was just like a tank just made to uh, go rescue other tanks but um, wow.
0: so you actually went out to desert storm and you had to go rescue other tanks and
2: things like that yeah yeah we, we had to do one two rescue missions I was there with a uh, second ACR. That is the second army cab uh, unit out of uh, Nuremberg, Germany. My uh, last stint in Germany, I was stationed in a little town called Grafenville Bielsek, which is about three to four to five minutes off the uh, Russia border there, right off of uh, the Czech Republic. I uh, was able to go and visit that a couple of times. That was uh, very nice. I uh, Again, being a small town, from a uh, small small town boy from Georgia, I got to see a lot of sites that a lot of guys in my hometown I grew up with didn't get to see. I spent time in Paris, uh, Italy, Rome, Egypt. Um, what was
0: sure.
1: the? <clears throat> sorry, not not to interrupt you, but what, what was the first country you went to? Do You remember.
2: Yeah, the very first country, I was uh, in Germany. Um, I landed in Frankfurt, Germany. It was uh, April of 89. No, April of 90. April of 90. And that was my first uh, overseas duty. And from there, you know, uh, learning the culture and trying to learn to speak the language. Was uh, there a-
1: was there a bunch of culture culture shock going from being a small town Georgia? You said you didn't get out much. And going from that to uh, a new country, was there a pretty big culture shock for you?
2: You know, it was a huge culture shock just going into the military period. Uh, when I left for boot camp, it was in October of uh, 88, 89. And uh, when I left uh, Georgia in October, it was – pretty close to 90 degrees and when I left I was wearing shorts and a white beater and my boot camp was in uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey, which we landed in Philadelphia and it was 10 degrees. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that It was a uh, freezing and uh, drill sergeants was not kind to us Southern boys. They were basically we, we was supposed to child of what not to do when you go during the military. you know they had you standing out there in um, in formation and you're freezing your ass off and they're not making any attempt to go any faster than what they need to go and I think they you know it was about in uh, Mount Platoon in uh, Fort Dix uh, I would say a good seventy-five percent of the guys there was from a southern state, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, somewhere in there. And they was all pretty much dressed like me. And we suffered big time for like six hours. Hmm. Yeah. So that, that that was a that that was beginning of the culture shock because up until that point I hadn't visited anything outside of the state of Georgia. That my first stint ever leaving the state of Georgia was joining the military and um done a lot of great things after that i went in uh fort Campbell, kentucky and was went into aerosol that's when you jump out of a helicopter well propel out of a helicopter and that was fun so now i went over to germany and um i'm kind of curious why why germany
0: was that just uh because of the war or why was that your detail
2: well uh on a four-year stint of higher, you got to do at least one overseas um, stint. So you're either going to go to uh, Germany, you're going to go to uh, Korea, uh, Vietnam, somewhere in those areas. You got to do at least 18 months outside the United States if you're going to do it uh, four years or better. So it wasn't... Um, my choice actually it was uh could they get you what they call your dream sheet when you sign up or wherever you would like to be stationed and they come close as possible to getting you there and um my dream sheet i just anywhere overseas would be nice and um I, di- I didn't care i just wanted to see the world and being stationed in germany and everything was pretty decently close within a put a 14-hour ride by bus or uh, train, um, it was a perfect spot. You know, I picked up on the culture pretty quickly. Within the first week or two, I was in Germany. Um, learning the language pretty quickly. Uh, learning uh, what's to, what to do, what not to do, what to be and what not to be. Um, it was uh, – a another culture shock coming back to the United States because there's no drinking age overseas in Germany. And uh, I spent my 21st birthday in Germany and it was no big deal because I was already drunk. (laughs) You know, you have been been drinking for a year and a half and then you finally turn 21. You legal now, but is you actually illegal because You've been drinking since you hit country. Mm, and that's funny. Yeah, no big deal.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny, man.
2: <laughs> well, and, uh, I- go ahead. Fighting Sammy. in the war, fighting in the war, was a little another shock. You know, um, that was one of the reasons why I did join the service. I figured everything was peaceful at that point in time. Hell, I can go in there and do a, a few years real quick before anything is stupid. I was barely in a year before the Saudi Arabia war kicked off and it was, it was a shock that, wait a minute, this wasn't my plan, but at the same time, this is what I signed up for. Um, That, that was, that was not just the wartime being over there in Saudi Arabia, but that was a totally different culture than anything that I had ever experienced. Um, Religion-wise, uh, people-wise, um, as a uh, family junior complained about Georgia, there's no landmarks to know where you're at. As in, you like you got Colorado, you always know the mountains to the west. So if you see the mountains, you know that's the west side. Behind you will be east, north, and south. Easy to pick it out in, in uh, Colorado. Here in Georgia, there's not a whole lot of huge uh, landmarks to tell you where you're at. Try sitting in the middle of the desert when you got nothing. Got no trees, you got no roads, you got nothing but sand. How'd the
0: how'd the heat compare to Georgia out there in Saudi Arabia?
2: Oh. Hot as hell. I, I, would, rather, I would rather have Georgia heat any day. I mean, during the the the, the peak moments, uh when it's hot over in uh, the, the desert. It was reaching temperatures of one hundred and thirty plus, and there wasn't no much shade, not 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 on at all. You know, you couldn't run from it no matter where you went. And there's no military vehicle with ACs in them,
0: dude. Let's t- let's talk about that really quick. I'm curious about two things. I'm curious. So, um, I I watched a video on Facebook. That's where I get all of my information. So <laughs> they. Are tanks, like, what's the the main tank right now, the Abrams tank? Are those not diesels? They're gas engine tanks?
2: Oh, no. Uh, the M1 Abrams, that is actually fueled by some really strong jet fuel. The, the, the engine pack in an A1 is basically a jet engine that will fly airplanes. So it's not just, it's a, it's a mixture of diesel and high octane gasoline that burns that engine. Uh, you got temperatures coming off the back of that tank. That, was, that is the biggest, most uh, accurate tank the uh, United States ever came up with was the M1 tank. It was accurate up to 95 miles per hour, a 65 ton tank. I mean, it was a very, it was a beast. Mm. And it still is. That's not a tank. Didn't got yet that compared. So, but, uh, you got, I remember not just in the war, but as we doing training exercises when I was in Colorado, they would fire up an M1 tank and you can stand there and roast a hot dog 10 feet away from the tank and it'd be perfectly cooked.
0: Dang. So sitting inside, it must've been hell.
2: You know, it wasn't. I I was not in. uh, um, I I was mostly real real support. That means that I didn't get directly in the middle of the fighting because I was a mechanic. So I was not a a tank engineer inside the tank, other than repairing it. You know, I could drive it because I you would have to move it in and out of the shop. Mm -hmm. But they had enough fans and. most other tanks, the M1 and the Bradley both, they have a nice cooling system in it and a nice heating system. So you stuffed in an armored unit and you're not coming in and out of there as you can a car. I mean, once you close the hatches and it's wartime, you start getting there for several hours, sometimes days before you come out of that tank. So they got to make it somewhat comfortable for you. So it's not, not, not too terrible sitting in there, not too terrible.
0: This is kind of random, but it it kind of made me think about it. So I think it's UPS trucks, the big brown trucks, they don't have AC in them. I think that's why everybody has their big doors open all the time. Maybe the new ones do. I remember talking, I had a buddy that worked for him and that was a big thing. They were trying to get the the bosses to throw AC in the big uh, UPS trucks. But so like for your trash trucks, for example, I know a lot of them run off like uh, natural gas now. Do you guys, are they pretty, what's it like, I guess, going back to the trash, um, you know, the the trash trucks experience wise, man. just, I guess, kind of walk us through what it's like to, you know, you're a fresh new driver. You got your CDL. Do you guys train people into those roles or do they have to come in with their CDL and just kind of walk us through that?
2: You know, and it it depending on the market area you at and uh the site that you go to, uh as you walk in with a permit and uh just your permit alone, some sites and some market areas will help you get your full CDL. Uh you ride right on the back of a truck on the residential side and that's uh as a driver, that's ninety percent of the time that way you should you should start or they will start you on the um Residential side, so you're riding on the back of the truck humping trash all day, and as you go along and you learn the truck, you learn the route, and you learn the company, then you can advance to become a driver. So you come from throwing uh, trash on the back of the truck to uh, driving the truck and somebody else is sitting on the back. Um, that, just the evolution of the trash truck from when I started, you know, um, the... Front end loader, that is the trash truck that got the big cans. They stab it from the front of the truck and dump it on, look like on the top of the truck. Uh, when I first started waste management, that operation was all cable driven. So you had cables that ran every control. And um, you had to be very skilled to use those trucks because you had to use two hands to work two different controls at one time and drive. So. Any driver that drove one of those trucks and still driving the trash truck to this day, hats off to you. You was a bad mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even the engine itself, you know, the engines had uh, simple uh, needle injectors for the fuel to keep the truck running. Again, you had a cable for the throttle, just like your old uh, lawnmowers. You know, you had that cable that pulled the throttle quicker and faster and so on. That was basically like the trucks were set up. And uh, slowly but surely, they started adding electrical components to diesel trucks. Um, the first computer was on the Cummins N14 engine, which was the, basically the same block of a 855 Cummins. And they put uh, electronic injectors on this truck, and they had to have something to uh, fire those injectors. So that's when the first ECU—that's the engine control module. Or a unit came about, and it was like a, a carrier on it was a pretty big old unit. Then their biggest engine itself, same with the hydraulic controls. Like I said, they were once all cable driven. Uh, then they somebody got wise, and they became um, air over hydraulics, to where air pressure would now run all that controls. So you could be it's a one hand job now with a single joystick. And to this day, they are electrical or hydraulic. so now you add another computer to the system and on top of that, they went to last like, you was talking about the natural gas the Cng engines is what we call in the compressed natural gas uh, the same block that I grew to learn and love to work on the diesel block and they turned it into a gas engine so ain't got spark plugs on it just as your car does. Is it the same diesel engine, um, <laughs> you know, and that that that's just the technology of where we're going. And I've um, been scuttled, but and I haven't heard it and I haven't seen them. They're actually now uh, producing electric trash trucks. You think that's going to work? Oh, I didn't thought the CNG was going to work at all. I really didn't. I saw the CNG going to flop on his face because. You don't get the torque and you don't get the horsepower that you had with the diesel, although they said you did. It's going to be one of those things as we did with the c You ran into a point where this is life now, so I better roll with it or roll out, so it becomes the norm. Um, the electric trash trucks, uh, it, it, they are kicking off over in California right now. I don't know how many they got in the fleet at this moment in time, but, you know, over in California, I heard that the law says that by 2025, they can no longer sell a gas vehicle anyway.
0: It's crazy, huh? We'll
2: let them figure all that out, right? Let let them figure it out. (laughs) But just (laughs) to see that uh, also migrated from California with all the uh, high emissions that they got. And once it was a big hit there in California, it started spreading across the nation. All big companies went with the uh, first uh, Blue Death, the regen system on their diesel trucks. And from the regen systems, they went to the CNG, and now from CNG, they're going electric. Has enough electronical products on the damn trash truck and cars now. Now your whole entire car going to be a big-ass battery.
0: You obviously know your stuff on on trucks. It's your passion. It's really cool to hear, you know, you explain all these different, you know, the evolution of the trash truck and just really mechanics in general.
2: All uh, all the trash trucks now come with AC and and they kind of um, weaken the driver. Um, when I started at waste management, there was no AC in the truck. You had the two by fifty five, roll the window down, both window downs, and do fifty five miles per hour, cool your ass off. But now every truck you know, it's, it's down there in some areas. It's a downing item is that trash truck does not have a AC in it. That means that truck don't hit the road that day until we fix the AC. And there's quite a few here in Georgia that we have had to do that. We couldn't get the uh, AC to work, so the driver could not take it that day. Believe it or not, and a lot of people, I was shocked to find this out too and learn this on hand as working, a CNG truck. Uh, you thinking that uh, a CNG as in the same taking the same fuel that you put in your uh, barbecue grill in the backyard? You open that up and you feel the tank and it's cold, right? But when you put it into on the heavy compressions of a big diesel block, it burns twice as hot as diesel, and uh, the cab of that trash truck get pretty smoking during the summertime, especially in Georgia when you're peaking out at 100% uh, percent humidity at 95 degrees to 105 degrees, you need some AC, bro. You ain't going to make it through the day. So, yeah, there's not a trash truck hitting the road to this day, even the ones in Colorado, Detroit, uh, anywhere there's a trash truck, now During the summer, there's an AC in that truck.
0: So anybody that works for UPS, go join Waste Management cause they actually have AC. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, um, that used to be the thing with the, the, the uh, UPS trucks the same way, because that side door, they was making stop, 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 that that was useless to put the AC mm-hmm. in there because you was in and out of the truck so much. Um, no, that's not the case anymore. Even uh, FedEx, UPS, uh, they all, Amazon, have it? all those trucks got ACs in them now.
0: Nice. So that was an old school way then, right? So just since yeah. the door was always open. Okay.
2: Yeah. You know, you you look back in the day, and uh, Miss Danielle probably can uh, testify to this. You had the special order AC in your car, it came with no AC. That's crazy. Yeah. Nowadays, you go buy a new car and they got AC and it stays on the lot. Nobody can
0: touch
2: (laughs) it. So I
1: I live in Arizona, and uh, my dad, when he grew up, they didn't have ACs in cars, you know, and uh, Arizona gets. Freaking hot! He'd come to the Phoenix area, and he said that they would have to bring a bag of ice, and everybody would take a scoop of ice when you got in the car into a cup, and you would eat that until you got to your destination, and then you would toss it out because otherwise you would like start passing out and stuff because it would get so hot in the car. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh!
2: Yeah, Arizona. That's one. Um, we got uh, four sites out there in Arizona. We got Arizona. We got Phoenix, north, south, east, and west, and uh, we have had uh, most of our guys out there work at night because it's too hot during the day during the summer. That's crazy, yeah. dude.
1: Yeah, waste I mean, management is good here. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good waste management guys up up here.
0: Um, they have like the is that where corporate offices? Because don't they have that big golf tournament out there too? Yeah, yeah here. the Waste Management Open. Yeah, they yeah.
2: have it out there in uh, uh, Arizona. There the Phoenix Open where it started and we just started sponsoring it and nice. then all of a sudden after the sponsorship it became the Waste Management Open but it started out the Phoenix Open and the uh, Waste uh, Management just uh, incorporated that to themselves but our corporate office is in uh, Texas Houston, Texas okay. Do you guys and get we- a ticket for that? We can actually volunteer and go out there and uh, work Oh that's cool well, you take know, care to your flight and stuff yeah they, they take care of your flight they take care of your hotel and um you get to be there with the open the whole time that they plan and once you're there at the end of the day depending on what detail you're on you have to go around and dump all the cans and um uh, set it up for the next day and um that that's on my bucket list for waste management to volunteer out there to, uh waste management open one day one year go out there just for the experience i know this year we started uh sponsoring uh the masters here in augusta georgia and i missed out on that one but i think i'm gonna put my name in the hat next year and do the uh uh masters down in augusta but yeah ne- in the next year or so i'm planning on putting my name in the hat to go out and do the uh waste management open out there in phoenix
1: do it and let, let me know i'll uh I'll give you a list of all the good restaurants and stuff, all the places to try up here.
2: Only Go thing ahead. I need to try out in Arizona is the In-N-Out burger. I'm good. <laughs> all right. You ever
0: had In-N-Out, Mr. Nelson?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah? yeah. Okay. Uh, I had uh, Alan on um, a travel football team, and our first tournament was in uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona there. And at the our first stop, right after we checked into the hotel, we went straight to the In and Out Burger. And um, when Pam was with over that company, you with California Calves, did their home uh, base was in uh, San Jose, California. And they would go out every five to ten years. They would bring uh, for the anniversary. They'd bring them out there. And again, that first stop, In and Out Burger. Yep, and in the, in the, in the, uh geodelic uh chocolate
0: shop dude it's so funny in and out was always like a delicacy growing up because was always a california thing now it's like it's in colorado springs man it's like grown it's in denver like it's all over the place it's in utah it's crazy two things before we end this conversation i really we really appreciate your time you have so much knowledge i guess just to kind of wrap it up i just want to read a couple things about waste management It's kind of a shout out to them. Uh, They've been good to you over your 28-year career. So I'm going to read a couple little facts about them. So Waste Management, they operate over 300 landfill sites across North America, making it one of the largest landfill operators in the world. The company has over 20,000 collection and transfer vehicles in its fleet, making it one of the largest trucking companies in the United States. In addition to Waste Management services, they also provide environmental consulting services and Environmental Assessments and, reme- and Remediation Services. It's recognized by the Fortune 500 as one of the world's most admired companies um, back in 2021. So, I mean, obviously, uh, just a, a huge, huge company. It's done really well for you. Um, what advice would you give to somebody, I guess, looking to get into to working with, with waste management? I know I've seen a lot of articles you guys are trying to incentivize, you know, the younger generation workers in general to come work with you guys with bonuses. I've seen like five thousand dollar bonus, sign on bonus, different things like that across the the Internet. But I guess what advice would you give to somebody just starting out those? Maybe if they're not even a diamond in the rough, but just somebody that has that potential or somebody looking to switch careers and and find a home. What's your advice to them?
2: Um, biggest advice is uh, get a try don't consider the trash company don't consider that's all we do is garbage as you just read off all the things that we do um i, I definitely like you say it has treated me good for the last 28 on 29 years uh great company great company that it is one of the few companies that you're gonna run into that actually take care of their employees it's not just a number game to them um that's one of our slogans. We are employee power. So we listen to the employees, we take their advice, and uh, we grow only because of our employees. You know, um, that's part of that management uh, deal. There, before I could bitch about it. they didn't take care, of you, but no, <laughs> <laughs> they, they really, they really do uh, look out for their employees. And uh, I haven't went to a district yet. That uh, did not put that effort forth to uh, make it as comfortable as possible for all new employees. And that's a lot up to the employees when they come in. What you take, what you put in, and what you get out. If you want good things, you put good things in. If you want bullshit, you're going to put bullshit in. So, my advice is be headstrong and be prepared because everything that you've done today. It's totally different tomorrow. I mean, uh, 100% totally different tomorrow. That's from being a driver, being a manager, being a technician, being an art specialist. Regardless of your job that you do at waste management, it's always a challenge. It's something new every single day. You'll never get bored. you never go into that mundane uh, of a similar line of work. It is something different every day. And depending on your line of business and line uh, line of work that you got to do. Hell, it can change every hour. You're doing something totally different. It is definitely a challenge. And if you are challenge driven, waste management is the place for you to be. Cause it will challenge you. It's
0: so cool, man. I, I, me and Connor, you know, the listeners, we all really appreciate your perspective. It's so cool to hear, you know, you, your boss, you mentioned earlier, starting as techs, you know, changing oil and, and, uh, you know, now you're managing a big old flea out in Georgia and uh, it's just cool. And like you said, effort, what you put in, you put out, you put the bullshit in, you'll get bullshit out. So that real effort uh, is what makes a difference, but thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story with us and uh, making time to, to do this.
2: I appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed this. I, I was—I haven't seen any of your podcasts, but now I'm intrigued to see what else y'all have done. So as soon as I get off of this, I'm going to go and look, up, look them up and see what else y'all was talking about with other personnel. You know, I was uh, didn't know how professional I had to be, but I saw that this is very laid back and cool. So I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Y'all Did are doing it. something good.
0: Thank you, man. We We started it. Our, our slogan was work horror stories that you could tell the world and we're probably gonna have to change it. It's more just life stories that you can tell the, tell the world, you know, that's, world. I don't think anybody said anything too bad, you know, and it's just cool. You know, I've, I've always learned something. And, and just like with you, uh, your episode, it's, it's cool to see your perspective and effort is the main theme of the blue collar life and, and your life exemplifies that. So we really appreciate it, man.
2: I appreciate it again, David. And, um, uh anytime um i'd be more than happy to be another guest on your show if you need man uh, i'd definitely be uh reaching out to you when Junior's ready to be on this show because uh i think he's uh a bit good candidate too. the way he had been upbringing and um where he went from what we thought was gonna be a spar kid the way he at now um big turnaround and um it's good. Uh, as I told you before, it's nice to see how much you guys had grown up to be uh, nice young men, more uh, respectable young men in the era that y'all grew up in, and to become what y'all did. Uh, we, we as parents, me and Pam and Miss Danielle, must have been doing something right because you guys turned out great. I appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks for coming on, man. Seriously, I um yeah i just wanted to say thank you it's it really is inspiring you know listening to your generation we've had a few people on that are around your generation and just the dog mentality that you guys have is just awesome i love it like i i think we need to have more of that in this country i think that's the reason that the country has been so great because it's built on you know the backs of guys with the mentality like yours so um i just really appreciate you coming on it's good to learn from you know, a man with your experience and the talents that you have. So
0: thank you. Thank you for coming on. Seriously. Thank you for having me. And everybody that's, that's listening to this. If you guys want to be on the show, uh, reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you could shoot us a message uh, to our email, which is stories S T O R I E S at blue collar, And uh, we'll get you on here. We appreciate you and we'll see you next week.